0: Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at SchoolStatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, Episode 104. And I'm your host, Nick Ortego. This week, a once homeless teen in Memphis is now the class valedictorian, and we'll list some of the most creative ways students have ever been caught cheating. Stay with us. Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, how to think like a data scientist when diving into your school's data. Hello, everybody. Nick Go here, and I'm joined by teacher extraordinaire, Alyssa Pruitt. Lisa, how are you doing? I am good. Is that summer? Is the summer as great as you thought it would be?
1: It's it's a hectic start to the summer, but it's going to be great. It's just getting there. I mean, I, I know
0: <laughs> a lot of people like you know think like teachers have this massive break, but what does it really come down to for you? Is it like five weeks? Maybe is it even that much before you're like back in the classroom doing stuff?
1: Um, it is. Yeah, I think it's it's right at under five weeks. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and so and then I guess like how much before the first day of school are you? typically like setting up your classroom because you have to take everything down, right?
1: Yes. You mm. have to put everything boxed up and all that stuff. A lot of teachers at my school are moving to other classrooms. So it's like a big that, old... Not you though? No, not me. Okay. But I am helping redo the office, the front office. So I'm doing a lot of artwork and stuff for that.
0: Oh, that's good. Like, what are you doing? Can you tell us about what you're drawing or...
1: Um, We're, we're trying to, you know, make it a little brighter. And so um, we're changing the color of the walls. And then I have... Incorporated the students from last year to make some really large floral arrangements, like uh, art, abstract art, and it. Tur- I just kind of put some finishing touches on it today, and it turned out amazing. So I had the kids working groups wow. to make flowers. They could design their flower in any way, and. Um, I kind of explained them the vision I had, and they just kind of took it and ran with it. And so we have a one really large, you know, four-foot-by-four-foot four canvas that the second-graders did. And then the same for the third grade, and they're lovely. They're so bright. That's really cool, though, yeah. that,
0: like, they are they have a purpose with their art. Yes. And it's being used in the school. Yep. Well done. I like that. What's going on in the uh, teacher's lounge?
1: So I just came across a story in USA Today about a, valedictor- a valedictorian out of... Memphis, Tennessee, who actually was homeless and was able to able to overcome the loss of his father. Wow! And, uh, you know, for a short time was homeless, but was awarded scholarships above three million dollars. Wow! And also valedictorian of his school. He's um, his so- name is Tupac Mosley, and. He just has a great story, and it just came across I came across it and I think it's just great he's he's wanting to major in engineering, and his mission is to come back to Memphis and to teach coding to students wow. um, from lower backgrounds he i mean he said they struggled anyway as of as to make ends meet always right but he was always very serious in academics and always had a wonderful support group in his school with teachers and administrators that always reached out to help him and he always appreciated that and he lost his father um, after his sophomore year. Um, and so he said things just became harder and harder financially for so, his Okay, mom. so they were
0: like together, like losing his father is why they were having financial they issues. They struggled,
1: right. They struggled wow. after that. And so then the school and administrators and everyone kind of tried their best to step in and help as much as they could. But in February, they actually lost their home. Um, And so he's been homeless since February. And then here he is in May at graduation, and they announced that he was the winner of this all kinds of awards, but that, you know, he was announced that he was the you know valedictorian you yeah. know some schools you now, you never know down to the end who's who's going to be the valedictorian or the salutatorian
0: right and so you said in february of like the, of this past year they lost their home mm-hmm. wow okay so i mean i guess that was probably around the time he was applying for schools
1: oh sure yeah so, well and even and even with the the race for valedictorian and salutatorian that comes right up to the end
0: right and so just to think that you know he was able to maintain his composure with all these you know outlying issues uh and even still maintain to get all like i mean if he got three million dollars in scholarships offered to him that means that he applied to multiple schools they all wanted them but that takes a lot of effort i mean this isn't just like filling out an application like right i mean to be able to prove that you're this this great student you they're asking for a lot of information about you so um wow Kudos, kudos to him
1: yep and tennessee state university is the the lucky school that got him and he says that you know, he feels like after what he's been through, that um, anything, anytime he's faced with a hardship, he will pull from just how hard this time was and how everything was coming all at once. And that if he can get through that, he can get through anything.
0: Wow, that's really a great story. I was um, perusing the uh, interwebs the other day, and um, I was like BuzzFeed because it's like, you know, quick quick reading, but they, they do these quick listicles, I call them. And um, they have one about like the most creative cheating that's ever taken place, but like where the teachers actually, they end up eventually catching them, but they had to give kudos to the student for the creativity. And I'll, I'll give you an example, first one. In one of the college courses, a student was apparently not allowed to use a calculator beyond a TI-84, mm-hmm. so he actually took apart the calculator, the guts, O-M-G. and then put the guts from the TI-89 into the TI-84, and this person says he never got caught in this case. Wow. So, kudos. That's pretty clever. Uh, another one is um, using M&Ms. One person pulled out a giant bag of M&Ms and ate a specific color corresponding to a b c and d and it was like a two student duo oh my goodness and um they only got caught when another student actually like ratted them out but like that's pretty clever yeah like all right if i eat a red you know it's a like and i think i think you could probably follow along pretty easily with that one so
1: (laughs) i remember we did a story once on cheating were it was you, early on. Somebody yeah. told us about somebody having a lanyard or something that they had made the study guide. They they had said that the study guide was going to be very similar to the test, so they made this lanyard with beads, and that was the test. Yeah,
0: that that is clever. You've got we've got one here where somebody took a um, they broke the screen and keyboard on their calculator, and then hid the cell phone inside the calculator. And it couldn't be seen from the teacher's position. I, I find that one a little hard to like believe. Like that seems, I don't know how you can like fit that in there, but who knows.
1: I mean, what is it that they're afraid What it wouldn't show them? Like fractions or something? Just learn fractions.
0: Yeah. I mean, well, with a, with a phone, you can do anything. You could like, you know. I guess m- Google,
2: make, yeah.
0: Yeah. Google a full note or, you know, anything that you can kind of like put in there. So this one, this one concerns me because this one's related to um, like a dental exam says, my girlfriend works for a dental exam company, which gives obviously high-stakes exams. Since the exams are worldwide, they have actually found people from one time zone paying people from another time zone to email questions to them right before the exam starts. And like, can you imagine somebody like, you know, a a bar exam, that happening, or like some sort of medical exam? Like, that's concerning.
1: And you're right. Well, that but wait now, if you're not allowed to have a cell phone, then that stops that, right?
0: No, no, but you would like, they basically like tell them the questions and the answers oh, like, beforehand. Yeah, oh, okay. and you just kind of, you know, retain. So, like it.
1: a board exam, kind right. of like where they're like, they're going to ask you about the way this works with it.
0: I mean, I guess the only thing I could compare mm-hmm. it to would be like a driver's license test or something, you know, like, and you yeah. know what to expect on the test before you go and take it. Goodness. My coworker angrily shouted at a pair of really frightened 10th graders whose desk he smashed amidst the shouting. I caught the words Morse code, and apparently the kids were silently tapping the answers amongst themselves in Morse code, not even with their fingernails, just their fingertips. Goodness. It it seems like if you're going to take the effort to learn Morse code, just take the effort to do the test. That's
1: what I'm thinking.
0: Or that's a really paranoid teacher who thought they were doing Morse code with their fingers.
1: Oh, gosh. Bless. Because you know that's such a... Terrible moment when you're sitting there going, I know what y'all are doing, and they're all like, "What are you talking yeah, about?"
0: Yeah, I don't even know what Morse you're code so is. You're so crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that has that ever like happened to you? Have you ever like thought somebody was cheating and then they just totally denied it?
1: Yes, um I I knew that a girl. I felt pretty sure that she had written answers on her thigh below her skirt. She had to a uniform skirt that she had to wear. You know. Yeah. And I kept seeing her go like pulling it up and. And I, I felt that that's exactly what I saw. And I kept kind of just staring her down at that point. And then I finally stepped next door to the teacher next door to say, you know, what do I do? I'm pretty sure that, you know, she's got this, and I, but I can't ask her to lift her skirt, right? you know? Yeah. Um, and so then the girl asked, like at that moment, I guess she felt the heat because she knew I was speaking with the teacher next door who was not as kind as I was you know who probably was a little more aggressive Right. and so then she asked if she could use the restroom and she went to the restroom and I'm pretty sure she kind of washed it off yeah I just didn't know what to do but at least she had she was stopped you know like she couldn't go forward
0: you you did what you could yeah are you ready for the Brad idea yeah Our guest in today's bright idea segment is the data scientist for school status, Dr. Joy Smithson, helps school districts build specialized reports using their data that shows trends and correlations in topics like absenteeism, state assessments, and students that are at risk. Joy, welcome to Class Dismissed.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Quick background on you. Um, you I guess you have a doctorate um, from USM? Yes, in, in
2: communication studies.
0: Communication studies. Yes. Okay, well, where's yeah. your statistical background come from?
2: So I took a lot of stats classes for that, but... I was a psychology undergrad at the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. Okay, so gotcha.
0: And, and then you got into the data science um, with School Status. When did that happen for you? About
2: five years ago, actually, this month.
0: Five so years. Oh, congrats! Yeah, yeah, in
2: May. A little anniversary.
0: Yeah. So, okay, tell me how that has evolved from the beginning of your time as a data scientist at School Status till now. Have you always been kind of doing the same work, or has it the needs of school districts changed?
2: You know, it has evolved. Um, My skill set has certainly evolved, but our ability to kind of guide districts has evolved quite a bit. And we've just, school status as a company has evolved. You know, we now incorporate a communication component that we never had before. So, um, you know, that adds new legs.
0: Do you, I mean, do you look at data in terms of communication or are you mainly focused on like absenteeism and assessments?
2: So up to now, it's been primarily assessments, benchmark assessments, state assessments, accountability, risk, that kind of thing. And we're moving more now into trying to demonstrate the impact that communication has on on student outcomes. So that's new, you know, we're we've collecting that data, we've got that data. We're working with districts now to investigate those questions. So
0: the um, data itself that you're looking at, like what's a district calling and, and asking of you?
2: Right now? well with end of year stuff we get a lot of questions about accountability testing you know districts want to know for example they've got a lot of benchmark assessments that they'll take three times throughout the year how does that predict whether or not a student's going to do well or not on the state assessment so if you're paying a district's paying for a benchmark they want to know that it's actually indicating how that student is actually going to perform at the end of the year so that's a question that we get quite a bit
0: can you give an example when you say paying for a benchmark like what comes to mind
2: any benchmark vendor you're you're paying for that state for that assessment so mm-hmm. um, just like you pay for a textbook or you know you pay for the tests and the ability to give that assessment to the student and so you want to know you want to trust that that's a that that is closely enough aligned with the state assessment, so that you trust when when you see, hey, my students um, proficient on this test, hey, that aligns with how they're going to do on the state assessment, so that they don't bomb the state assessment, and then you've had all this time you could could have been working on something, but you didn't know to do that because your benchmark you never knew that it wasn't closely aligned with that state assessment. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does.
0: Like, it does. And school status, I guess, they're pulling all this information, usually from what I think you guys call a CIS, um, like, a, and, and then you you have charts and graphs in there, but when someone's tapping on you, it's like a deep dive, right?
2: Yeah. So like the SIS usually, I don't want to speak for all of them, but a lot of student information systems, that's what a SIS is. But it's got what we call core data, your attendance, your discipline, your grades. Um, so... Then you'll have a benchmark vendor who does like those those three three times a year tests. That's in a completely different Spot. warehouse yeah. of data. Yeah. So we then will pull from the SIS and get that core data, and then we'll marry that with the benchmark data. And then, of course, at the end of the year, we'll pull the state data, and we put it all together so that you can start looking at that Together, That's, right. it's kind of mind blowing. When I first started school status, it was mind blowing to me right. that districts didn't have that. I was like, "Wait, right, right, what? You didn't know." <laughs> yeah, so, um, so yeah. Usually, if they're tapping me, it's it's a deeper dive into investigating the actual relationship between some of that. So
0: stuff. they're calling you, I guess, either for validation or they have a concern like you said about a benchmark so how often are you you know actually running the numbers and then bringing back this report that says you know what that benchmark you're paying for it's it's no good like does that happen
2: (laughs) thankfully that has not happened um that that would be awkward and yeah so we've we've not had to have that conversation um and you know those vendors it behooves them to test that as well and most of them are so um but yeah, no, that, that's not happened yet. <laughs> okay, that's good, that's
0: good. All right, so let's talk about absenteeism a little bit. So I imagine sometimes districts want to know, like, you know, what is absenteeism like in my school? And, and maybe there's stuff about absenteeism that you see that the average person doesn't.
2: One thing that I notice, and I think this is part of working in Mississippi primarily, but, um, you know, the ADA is a big thing. Average daily attendance. And, right. you know, schools get funding based on that. And that's, that makes sense. However, if you're looking at student risk, ADA is kind of, that's, that's different. Um, if you're looking at student risk, like chronic absenteeism is where you want to look. And those kids that are just chronically absent, if they've missed 10%, of school, that's a chronically absent kid. And you've, you just got to get on the ball with that. And ADA can often overlook that it'll, it'll kind of, right. it
0: gets the overall kind of number of everybody exactly. and it's attached to funding, but this could be like a kid that's off the, the rails, I guess. It,
2: yes. And if you, you know, it's like anything that we humans do, we kind of get into patterns and routines. So if a negative pattern gets established early on and a parent or a kid sees that, Well, I'm doing okay. I don't have to be in school every day. Then the next year, it's that much harder to address that problem. So you've got to kind of nip that early on. So how do you
0: know that? Like, have you seen those trends?
2: There's a uh, Robert Balfons. I hope I'm saying his name correctly. Bob Balfons. He does a lot of research out of Johns Hopkins University, Mm -hmm. and he just has he's like the expert on chronic absenteeism. And there's just tons of evidence that you should be tracking that and intervening immediately. Right. So a kindergartner
0: that missed 10% of school, like the prediction is by the time they're in third, fourth grade, it could be out of control. Yeah.
2: They might not be reading on grade level. Then, you know, you've got the third grade reading gate. A lot of States say you can't move on if you're not a proficient reader. So if you're not in school learning, you're, you've got to at least have the opportunity to be there and learn and have your teachers <laughs> be able to instruct you and guide you through that. So 10% is just, you know, you missed 10 days of school, and here you are in the first term, and that's just a lot of content you've missed. So
0: so a district calls you up and, you know, says, I want to look at chronic absenteeism for, for my district. I mean, so what what happens next?
2: So well, like with school status, you can track that data, you know, over time. So every day you're looking and watching that student. A red flag goes up. Hey, they're um, they've already missed five percent. So it's something instead of being reactive and looking in the background, you want to be on top of that. Have these pre-populated reports like school status has. Right. Don't want to plug us too much, but I mean that's you want. So you're basically just kind
0: of show them the report. Like those are already built in there. Yes, we have
2: at at risk. Platforms and some of them, um, you know, you can adapt them to to your needs. If it's you know over three infractions, um, right. if you've got a certain um, number of absences, or if you've um, your benchmark falls below a certain level, then you're alerted. Like, hey, this the student's on the list.
0: In terms of an at risk student, what are you looking at besides absenteeism?
2: So you're looking at things like. Um, the feeder school that they came to. Are more kids who are dropping out, coming from one particular junior high, for example? Um, a lot of times, so when we say that we're like diving deeper into the data, we might look at is there a particular um, amount or type of infraction happening? So working with districts a lot to to unif- like get their data in a uniform format. So mm-hmm. if you've got... Say you're tracking discipline and you've got 10 different codes to indicate that the kid had a fight, right? Well, now it's. You've got fight or you might have FT, all these different ways to categorize it. And then if it's not uniform, you miss this important data and you're not able to aggregate it. So, um, coaching some of that type of thing, like, Hey, get your junior high and your elementary school and your high school on the same page and how they, um, categorize this information and what they track and what is important to you, um, Does that answer? Yeah, no, it
0: does. Absolutely. And earlier you said something along the lines of like reactive, I think, or or proactive. And and I want to talk about that in terms of using data, like reactive and proactive. Like what what data should districts be using that can be used in a proactive way?
2: Well, all your data can be used proactively. But what I would say to that is don't just – sometimes you'll have someone call in and be like, well, I was just thinking the other day. Wouldn't it be neat to look at this – these relationships between these variables? Maybe it would be, but do you have some programs that you're working on? Are you trying to get students to be reading on grade level? What are you doing to accomplish that goal? And then measuring that, you know, having trying to set goals on the front end mm-hmm. and then programming accordingly and then measuring those programmatic, the effectiveness of those programs. Okay. Um, so that it's not like, you know, oh, well, let's look back and see, do do our students who attend pre-K, do they have different outcomes than students who did not appren- attend pre-K? Well, that's an interesting, important question, but are you doing anything to suggest that there would be a difference? Are some pre-K programs different than another one? Right. Um, you know, how do you know that that's not different than a homeschool situation? Like what's hap- if they're just going to pre-K and it's not really academically involved, then why would you expect there to be a difference? So, you,
0: you, you say there's a, a big interest in pre-K data right now, right?
2: Yes, there's a big. Yeah, I guess I did bring that up. Um, there's just a big trend. People are noticing that uh, reading um, on grade level by grade three is just incredibly influenced by reading birth to age five. It's such a critical time period Um, reading with your children, reading with your students and making that just a regular habit has such an influence on their ability to learn language and remember different words, use that and be a strong reader by the time um, third grade is kind of the critical moment. So
0: what data sets exist that kind of align with that, that that a school district could measure in terms of the world of pre-K is there one?
2: There are some benchmark vendors. Um, you know the heavy testing starts in third grade, but a lot of them do assessments uh, kindergarten, first and second grade. and uh, most benchmark vendors are like a fall and a winter and a spring. So they're, as far as I know, um, most of them are testing in fall of kindergarten. And
0: I guess what I'm saying is can a district say, does a district know how many of their students went to pre-K? Is that is that data that exists?
2: Yeah, that's an interesting question. So the reason I say that it's interesting is because things that have hit my desk would suggest not necessarily that that is not something that's regularly tracked. And um, when it is tracked, it's a little bit haphazard. Right. Like, again, this is based on my experience, but... Um, that seems to be a newer trend that people are recognizing, oh hey, we need to ask, did this child attend pre-k? where did right. they attend it? Um, that's that's a bit. So that's newer. a good pro
0: tip. like maybe districts should start tracking this. Uh, I think on- so.
2: absolutely. yeah. How many years was you know, did they flit around? Were they in three different pre-k programs or were they in the same you know tracking the time that they were there, when they came in? how um, which programs were being done at that pre-k if, if that's available? So. Is
0: there a set of data that maybe districts um, don't realize that's out there that's just really valuable and really telling? Is there something that like you know you ever tell a district about and they go, "Oh my gosh, I didn't even know that existed"?
2: So a lot of people I hear talk about the What Works Clearinghouse, and there's a lot of data on that platform. There's also a lot of data. There's it's a website called Kids Count. I think it's KidsCount.org, perhaps. I think I've got that right. But there's a lot of free data on there that's, and a lot of it is pre, there's, they've already got reports out, you know, summarizing state data, county data, and it's pretty varied. So that one, uh, I discovered that one when I was in the nonprofit world, and it was really helpful for like writing grants, for example. I would think that districts might find that interesting and useful as well as they look for federal funding, for example. Um, to kind of supplement their arguments and comparisons for their school district.
0: How much of your work, Dr. Joy Smithson's work, is taking what school status already has and then combining it with, with outlaying Outlier data like that, and I don't mean to use the word outlier in terms of like a, an anomaly. I mean just like data like that's, publicly available. Yeah, data. right. Exactly.
2: Yeah. So usually, if we're uh, like if we write a blog post, for example, that's going to be from um, using data. That's going to be from publicly available data. Mm-hmm. So. Um, Yeah, but in terms of what we do for districts, usually only when they're asking for like a gap analysis or they're trying to predict what their enrollment will be in coming years, we might rely on census data for something like that. But I would say that's like 5% of what I do, Um, drawing in anything like that. It's usually just the district's data.
0: Would, Would the average person be surprised by the amount of data a district is using? Or are they not using enough? And I guess I'm kind of trying to give, your, give clients a score. And, and I don't mean to make it clients, but just like districts that you work with, are, are, they, are they getting an A and using their data? Are they a C? Like, how, how are they doing?
2: So usually the folks that are talking to me are heavy data users. They are able to talk about it with, um, they're, they're able to articulate their ideas. You can tell that they know what's going on. So, um, with data and they've got a plan for that data. So the folks that I work with, I would give a B, a very high B, um, you know, and the longer we work together, the more likely it's going to transition into an A because they're they're just working with it more often. Um, and again, kind of those things we talked about earlier, like um, categorizing and coding, trying to give yourself the opportunity to set yourself up for success.
0: Do you think districts in general, though, are are taking advantage of all the data that's out there?
2: I think that they're collecting a lot more data than people realize, and that there is just this sea, there's so much of it um, and that it can be difficult to digest. But I think that on the whole, the districts that we are working with at school status, yeah, they're, I would say a C or a B, Um, they're, they're using that data, they're logging in, you'll see the usage is high, um, even among teachers, um, looking at students' data. So yeah, I don't think it's as bad as the media would have you think, or like popular um, stories about like, teaching and things like that, that. Okay.
0: Give me the takeaways. Like if, I, if I'm a, a, an educator listening to this and maybe I haven't been, you know, using the data like I should, What what's the low-hanging fruit? Like what should every district be looking at in terms of a few different categories?
2: Well, we talked about chronic absenteeism a lot. So mm-hmm. I think that that's one. I think that pre-K, looking at where your students have been prior to the time that they hit your school is, a, is something of value to look at. And then I think that a lot of times the there's this perception that data is for administrators. Data is for teachers, man. Like the rubber hits the road in the classroom. Right. So it's you know, you can sit and look at spreadsheets all day long from the comfort of your office, but if you're not talking to your teachers and your teachers aren't talking to each other and learning from each other's data, you are, you're just setting yourself up for a hard, long road. So it takes a village, it takes teamwork. Um, You know, I love having folks to work with in my department so that I can bounce ideas off of and say, hey, is this how you interpret this? Like data is a, It's an opportunity for a conversation to happen, Um, you know, and you can look at people can walk away from one spreadsheet or one graph with different takeaways. So I think that being willing to talk about data and explore it um, and it not be a scary thing, that would be my number one. Is
0: there a particular metric that teachers should be focused on more than others, though? I mean, is it just simply test scores or...
2: Oh gosh. So test scores are more objective than like a classroom grade, but if you're doing a formative assessment, there are things for example that I never see that's happening in the classroom where a teacher's able to pick up on a nuance from that student. Uh, um so I think that that's incredibly critical that again that might not hit the desk of any administrator. Right. Um so, you know, I think a lot of times trusting in that, um, qualitative component is also important. You can tell when a kid's having a bad day or they're not, they look hungry. Right. You know, that's incredibly valuable.
0: All right. So I, I don't mean to, I don't want to get you too much business, so to speak, like too busy, but if somebody is a school status customer and they want you to like help them out with something like they can just email in, I guess, and like try to talk to you.
2: Yeah. They can email, they can call, um, that's and ask for joy. Yeah.
0: And and that's what you do. And I guess you, sometimes you probably refer people to like, okay, well there's already a report for that. Like they just didn't realize it. Right. Those are the
2: best is when, you know, Hey, guess what? Yo, that's right at your fingertips. (laughs) You You can just, it's one click away. Um, those are awesome because you've, you've helped them and they've discovered something that that's already available. Um, yeah. So, and then other times it's, Hey, I, you know, I want to have a conversation about looking at data and right. um, and it turns into not just a report but a full-on study. You know, right. we've had that happen. And the way
0: you guys are kind of structured is like you have they have twenty four hour tech support. and there's people who can probably point you in a lot of the direction of those reports, but there's probably times where they're like, you know what? I'm gonna get you a joy. Yeah, <laughs> and that's yeah. kind of where you step in, right? Yeah, okay. And then we'll just
2: follow up, schedule, you know, some people are more comfortable with email. We'll go that route. Yeah. and then I like to get on the phone and hear, you know, what's on your mind, what's worrying you and, you know, give me some insight so I can really solve. Well, I know you help questions. folks
0: cause I've been at conferences at, at a booth and I've heard people come up and say, where's joy. I want to meet joy. She helps me all the time, but they don't know you who, like what you look like or what you sound like. Cause you just talk to them via email.
2: Those are kind of fun. Yeah. yeah. And then like, or someone that you never knew, I don't know. It's hard over the phone, right. To read what someone thinks, or right, but yeah. then so then months later they're like they give you a hug and they're right. like you helped me so much. I'm like oh wow, well I didn't know that. Thanks. That's cool. That's really so, yeah, rewarding. rewarding.
0: Well, well, you you and I um, are friends and I and I know you, but I'm not gonna let you off the hook with the pop quiz. Are are you ready? I'm ready. Pop quiz? I'm All ready. Right. All right. First question: If students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be?
2: I think about this one a lot, and I think empathy.
0: Really? I really do. Okay. I think empathy. Yeah. I I think that's something I've had to work on my life. So yeah, I get it. I get it. You know, like it's it's, hard. Yeah. yeah. Uh, There are
2: times where I think I'm an empathetic person and then I'll realize, man, not at all. Like I just missed the mark. Yeah, Or like after a
0: conversation with somebody, you are like, I didn't say the right thing Mm -hmm. or I didn't say anything. Yes. Yeah. All right. What are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? Maybe empathy.
2: Yeah. Maybe empathy. Um, I would like to see arts and kind of um, just have more of a focus and then health. Like, I'm just, you know, I'm big on that. Right. So, gotcha. Yeah.
0: What does every child deserve?
2: Fighting chance, man.
0: What's the biggest challenge for today's educators?
2: I think trust, like trusting that they know what they're doing.
0: What's the best gift to give an educator? Time. Which teacher changed your life?
2: Judy Davis. Who's Judy Davis? Second grade teacher. Um, She is just, she's just a deer. She's like a sunshine. Um, I have a friend who talks about sunshines and clouds. Like some people are sunshines. Judy Davis is a sunshine. Like, have,
0: have you told her? Can you still tell her? Yeah.
2: Yep. Uh, we're friends on Facebook and um, yeah, we have a relationship. She messaged me up not too long ago and awesome. she's just a really cool educator.
0: Great. Yeah. And last question, pen or pencil?
2: Pen. yo. Not just any pen, but the pilot precise. I'm B5. surprised.
0: I figured you being in statistics and like writing stuff down, you need to erase. No.
2: Confidence man. Right. Put it down permanently.
0: <laughs> All right. Dr. Joyce Smithson with School Status, the uh, data scientist here. We appreciate you taking the time to join us. Thanks, Nick. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. We want to hear from you, so if you want to send us an idea or a comment, remember you can always email us at info at We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So if you like what you heard today, please be sure and hit that subscribe button, and we'd also love it if you'd leave us a five-star review. Don't forget you can connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash classdismissedpodcast or on Twitter to search for us by typing in dismiss. On behalf of Russ with school status and Lissa representing all the teachers out there, I'm Nick Ortega. Go, and I'll talk with you next week.
1: Class dismissed.